we're back. I'm Gervir Bra. I'm here with Chamal Karsandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're getting into The Northman and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. Folks, it's showtime. Fate has no mercy. I cannot escape my fate. Your fate is set, and you cannot escape it. Night by night, you cannot escape it. Strive, we will carry out my pledge of vengeance. You cannot escape it. In our first segment, we're talking spoilers for The Northman. If you want to skip around, we got timestamps in the description, and don't forget to subscribe. So, I'm just gonna say right off the bat, okay? First thing about The Northman. Mm. The one thing that backfires about not knowing tra- like anything, trailers, any promo footage, when you walk into a movie and it's fucking Shakespeare right off the bat, <laughs> it's like so jarring to walk into that. I will tell you that this is the first time I for sure was like, oh, this backfired this time. Really? Yeah, because I, I, when you don't expect Shakespeare and then it's Shakespeare, it's like... It's like going from it's like going from hot to cold, like completely different. To be fair, I did see the trailer, and it doesn't really give you much of the dialogue mm-hmm. between the characters, so you wouldn't have like picked up on that from the trailer. The trailer was very visual heavy, okay, and it obviously it's a breathtaking movie from a visual standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but that was the trailer that I saw, so yeah. you didn't get the kind of the dialogue, the interaction between the characters, or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and just getting into it, like we can rush right off the bat. This is essentially Hamlet. I think that's like the low hanging fruit. Is this is number one Hamlet as like the base, but also through my generational lens, I'm like, oh, I'm watching The Lion King now. That's fine. <laughs> I, I didn't expect to watch The Lion King, but we're watching The Lion King. That's cool. I don't know if you had that same impression. No, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, I feel like Norse mythology and Viking history from the Nordics has been very in vogue now for yeah. the last 10 years. So and I've seen a I lot think of content. We, we should give credit hugely to Thor. For, for doing that. I feel like uh, yeah. if anybody's popularized Norse mythology in the mainstream in the past <laughs> couple of years, it's got to be like Thor and that whole story. There was a show called Vikings that ran for six seasons that did a pretty good job. I'm sure they, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've heard of that. I, I didn't watch that show. I had my brother-in-law watch that show. But right. like as far as like a far reach, I yeah. feel like nobody is doing more for Norse mythology. Than I kind of feel the people that watch Thor probably aren't the same demo that watched The Northman. I disagree. Or Vikings. I completely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> nerds are watching this kind of stuff. That's who the demo of everything is now. It's nerds. Uh, but but yeah, what what you like? What did you think about the movie? Like, did you walk out with like positive vibes, negative vibes, anything in between? Like, I wouldn't say it was a horrible movie, but I wouldn't also say it was a fantastic movie. I'd say it's kind of like it was above average. It kind of ticked a lot of boxes of my expectations of what I thought it was going to be. I think from the positive side of things, I can say visually breathtaking mm. some of the the locations that they actually ended up uh, going to to shoot this movie bang on the money i actually read that i think the vast majority of the movie was shot in in ireland and not actually anywhere in scandinavia and i thought some of the uh, the interaction between the characters was good but here's a thing and it kind of goes back to how much of again norse mythology or viking you know historical content you've consumed and i've consumed a lot of it over the last 10 years this kind of gave me a slice of that experience whereas whereas i feel like other shows and movies and things of that nature have done a much better job that being said 
you know, I thought it was a pretty good movie overall. Again, I wouldn't say it's something that I would urge everyone to go out of the out of their way to go to the cinema or go to the theatre to watch it. Hey, it might be one of those Sunday afternoon, it's rainy and miserable and cloudy outside and you want to watch... Uh, a movie a, that's rainy and miserable and cloudy inside? Basically, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, it feels like they tried to make like a big budget epic and it's definitely epic, but I just didn't feel like I, I didn't get what I was hoping for, feelings-wise. I agree. I feel like the narrative and the story arc, not the most original, is very predictable. You kind of can see where it's headed. And to you've, see. you've seen this in other movies. Like when I, a lot of the movie, I thought, oh, that's Gladiator. Or, yeah, yeah, or, the, exactly. or it's this, or it's that. Yeah. And, and I think that's where the movie lets itself down. There's tons of exposition, which we've talked talked about a lot on this podcast. It's kind of like the killer of a movie going experience. When you're being told about where you're headed or what's going on, uh, and, and this film does it in chapters. We've seen this time and time again in so many other ways in so many of the movies that isn't even Viking related. And that's probably the, the one element or the major part of the movie that lets everything else down. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. It feels like it's there's nothing wrong with using source material like Shakespeare, right? Like, and there's so many movies and stuff that do that, but it just was so overtly obvious and they never really deviated from that. I think a great example of like basically as a counterexample of what you just said, you know, referencing so many things, everything everywhere all at once, which we just saw two weeks ago, that movie references so many different things. It brings together so many different references, but at no point, even with exposition, they do it. They just do it well. Everything that they do, it just felt very fresh and it felt like it was a nice deviation from what my expectations were going to be. Yeah, in many ways, the movie is very formulaic, very much so from a script and a narrative perspective. And I think where Robert Eggers, and again, this is no knock on Robert Eggers, I think his strong point, and I've seen this now in his recent movies, it's the visual representation. Yeah. What he's trying to do, what he's trying to shoot, how he's trying to shoot, his location The way he shoots his shots are masterful. Yeah. Beautiful. But I, I think you're 100% right. It just doesn't go, and get, go anywhere beyond the visuals. Yeah, and again, I don't want to you know knock Robert Eggers on this either because I felt like The Lighthouse was fantastic yeah and that had a very strong script so it may be a case of you know how he's picking and choosing his projects and again maybe they just made this at a, at a time where they think hey listen you know Vikings are very on vogue right now obviously you, you brought the Thor um, example but when they started making this movie the the TV show Vikings had just ended a strong six season run yeah again visually I love it. So some of the shots were just so beautiful. And one I will bring up as far as like masterful shots go, it's when it is the years later. And then right away we get into just like a frame of just this river. And then all of a sudden there's a rowboat that just comes by and you can just see these huge guys just pulling this rowboat and you can just see the intensity in that scene. It's so well done. Maybe it's because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not a fantasy fan. Like this isn't my genre. I never... You know, at the end of the day, I'm, I know a million people are huge fans of like Lord of the Rings and all that kind of stuff. I never really felt like connection to the genre. And I think that's why I'm not judging it so harshly because I'm not that big of a fan of it. But I'm also starting to realize maybe I'm not the biggest Robert Eggers fan because mm. I did like Lighthouse. But when I go back and think about like The Witch, it's the same kind of thing. It's a horror movie. I was waiting for it to finally get to that next level, scare me and do all that kind of stuff that a horror movie is supposed to do. It just never made me actually feel something like a genuine emotional connection to the film. I just never had that. And the same thing kind of happened over here as well. Which is interesting because so many actors really want to work with this guy right now. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't doubt that he has like an ability to make something that like 
will have either like mass appeal or like a really big budget epic. I think he's capable of that. I just don't think he's done it yet based on his uh, the work that he has right now. And he's still very early in his career. This is only his third feature movie. He's done a bunch of shorts, but look at the cast, right? Alexander Sarsgaard, Nicole Kidman, Anna Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, yeah, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, even when we're talking about like Ethan Hawke, he obviously has like a pretty quick role. He plays the king, uh, the initial king, but he dies pretty fast. But for some reason, it just, I think, I think maybe it's just the way the story is told, not the story itself. The way the story is told is just not compelling enough for me. Because it's not original. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing. It's like now we're demanding so much of where it's a little bit fancy. It's a little bit you know, period piece. Yeah. But where are we actually heading with this story? Like, have we seen it already done better in other yeah. shows or other or the other movies? And yes, we have. And that's the kind of challenge. And not the the A list cast, the the beautiful shots that will not make up for a weak story. Yeah. Even when you like, I remember just audibly when Simba basically comes back, Alexander Skarsgård as Amleth. When he is Amleth and he gets called Amleth, I keep thinking like, is, is are they calling him Hamlet? Am I missing something specifically? Like even that little bit of an audio cue is too close a connection to the actual story that's happening. Arthur, strike, but know that bearing a stolen ring makes no half-breed a king. Soaked in my blood, twill soon be sliding off your arm like a serpent. There is like a really mystical side of the story that's like, I think the, the more interesting part of it. When I was like the most eyes glued to the screen it was mostly when the mystical elements of the story kind of came in that is really brought out by that oracle scene where he's told to remember his oath and right the wrong and he has like this very specific destiny that's been attached to him and that's what we're kind of given right like imagine if simba is given like this thing where he's supposed to come back and be the king that happens but there's such a twist in this movie where nicole kidman his mom she I think the like the most interesting plot point for me is the fact that she never really cared for his father, right? It's like as if Simba's mom just never cared for Mufasa and wanted to be with Scar. That's the most interesting plot point I I thought for this entire movie. Yeah, and kind of going to what you just said, uh, I think the the mystical side when it comes to the Oracle showing the journey to Valhalla, all that kind of stuff. They try and kind of almost ground that in a way. Yeah. They show you, oh, they're using mushrooms. Oh, this is probably part of like human civilization where people were just like eating like, you know, wild mushrooms and tripping out yeah. and almost having these uh, fantasies and ideas of a higher plane or a higher being in God. And, and that is something that historians have talked about is like how religion and you know all these things kind of came about in different various cultures around the world stemming from mushrooms and they specifically show all these mushroom soups some are poisonous some will make you trip out and things of that nature i thought that'd be very very fascinating that is actually very fascinating and you can kind of see that in like a lot of religious texts where they do mention a lot of different kind of things that we know as drugs now like psilocybin mushrooms have been used in religion for decades and decades and that is one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie and i think it really highlights willem dafoe's con contribution to this entire movie Right. He's uh, Heimer, the fool. And it's that whole initiation at the very start where it's the king and his son. First, they're barking and they're howling. And then all of a sudden, the dad, to show his value, starts burping. And I guess he's got to show that he can, like, I don't know, show some gas or whatever. And then the kid farts and everyone's got to take this real seriously. And I'm just like, why is the whole theater taking this fart scene so goddamn seriously <laughs> right now? And that's just the tone of the movie. But Willem Dafoe has this like fantastic mystical presence about him in this movie and he's so intense i think like the, that hallucination scene is 
easily one of my favorite parts of the entire movie. And also worthwhile noting, Willem Dafoe obviously starred in The Lighthouse, mm-hmm. another Robert Eggers movie. Anna Taylor-Joy was in The Witch. So yeah. already we've got two actors here who seem to be Robert Eggers' muses, where they're probably going to end up working with him quite a few times. You know, he's identified his peoples yeah. and he's going to try and bring in actors that you know he's got a good relationship and things of that nature. Yeah, he's even mentioned that he wants Willem Dafoe to play Nosferatu in his movie when he does that eventually. And that feels like such a win anyways. Like, like Willem Dafoe is just on a... He's like, he only does high-level movies and for some reason it's just... He can he can just pop into Spider Man No Way Home and it's no problem, or he can pop into something like this, which feels like a art house movie, yeah, or or the lighthouse, and like he's just indistinguishable. He can do whatever he wants. His career longevity is something to be dissected, man. Yeah. I've been watching him in movies since the eighties. Yeah. This guy's got a crazy, crazy resume. When will you do it? When I must. For now, I will haunt this farm like a hungry corpse returned from the grave. At the end of the day, there are like it feels like we're kind of shitting on this movie right now. But like, I don't, I don't think there was like nothing that I could take away that I didn't enjoy. I, uh, as somebody who like through my lens of not really caring about fantasy as a genre for movies, I love it in like let's say Zelda, right? And like that's a video game that I go back to over and over. And one of the main scenes that I really enjoyed was when he's trying to get the sword, Mm. the master sword, essentially, where he fights off this like skeleton demon creature thing and like he has to battle it and the cool thing that i really liked about the fight scenes in this movie and including that one there's not too many camera cuts as far as it goes for any of the battles right and it makes the cat like all the fights feel so much more brutal because of it and it's kind of similar to what we've talked about in like pro wrestling a lot too wwe has a style where they cut like over and over and over whereas like a new japan or something like that they they cut a lot less but it lets the the emotion and the moment feel a lot stronger and more brutal yeah he loves his like single take one long shots especially when it comes to the fight scenes the battle scenes and you know when hamlet first kind of like you know you see him you know on that viking ship and they're about to it looks like they're a, they're sacking a city or a little small little town yeah like that is like brutal savage brave heart levels of gore yeah you see people's heads getting chopped off and the film has got that throughout by the way when it comes to like gruesome gore brutality brutality this definitely delivers on that as far even like the sport that they play like what a brutal sport it feels like it's like rugby with sticks it's like we will play rugby but we also are going to beat the shit at each other with sticks it's such a savage thing and they have uh the mountain from game of thrones thor i forget what his last name is but he, he's pretty good in this movie. Like, I, I like his presence because he's so big. Yeah. And and when you do defeat somebody that big, it feel it makes that main character feel like so much more of like a, a powerful force in that world. Yeah. And on top of that, he's that's like the point in the movie where he proves his value to his slave owners and gets to basically become like head slave or whatever it is. Yeah, gets to run all the other slaves and yeah. kind of become, like you said, the, the head of the farm. Yeah. As far as villains go, because... You know, that's kind of the fun thing of the movie is they play with the idea of who is the good guy, who is the bad guy. Because the mom, as Nicole Kidman, as Queen Gudrun, she starts off like you're like when the sun goes away, I'm thinking, oh, man, what's going to happen to his mom? She's going to be living in this like torturous existence. And that's through the lens of the sun that we see it from. Right. And when he comes back, you can already tell she has a whole other family. She is not going to care about him. She's she's over it. Right. And I feel like I got that sense right away. And when he does enter her room. And basically, that's what she does. She confirms that, that she was never really in love with her dad. She says she never mourned him. He endured her because he bore her a son. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It, it's, it kind of flips it on its head right there because that very specific destiny that he had 
is just completely tarnished at this point. And it's also interesting to note that she does show the the slave uh, scar yeah. from, the, from being branded. Sure. So it almost makes you kind of think this is just a slave trying to do whatever she needs to do to survive and thrive in life. Yep. And if it's going from one guy to the next guy and having children with this guy, it doesn't matter. She's going to do whatever it takes to survive and thrive in life. And it's that crazy proposition that they have at the end of that where she basically goes and starts kissing her son and says, go kill him and then I'll be your queen. And it's like watching that from a 2022 lens. I was yeah. like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. But she's such an vindictive character. I really enjoyed that part of it. And uh, uh, when we talk about her like new king what's his name Fjolnir I felt like he felt flat for me like as far as like even in my head I'm com- again Lion King comparison I'm comparing him to F- Scar like right off the top even visually he has like the exact same aesthetic look as Scar and yeah. you, you kind of see him right away he decapitates the other king but for some reason he felt like a flat villain for me yeah he was even though the, the final battle between them the two of them at the end uh when that volcano is erupting and lava is spewing everywhere is pretty damn epic yeah i think he was probably one of the weaker characters mm-hmm. from the movie i actually felt like you're talking about nicole kidman give a shout out to nicole kidman man yeah like here she is in a movie she's not the lead she's a she's a small time bit bit player she's a side character and 2022 man nicole kidman again someone like willem dafoe who i've been watching since the 80s still looks good mm-hmm. right and is still jumping on projects like this which perhaps could be a little bit risky but she's taking up the smaller role and she's happy to play her part. She takes her swings and I, yeah. I love that about her. And it's, just, it's the same thing. Like on the other side, you have Anya Taylor-Joy who is like the younger, like the female star of this, this movie. She is this badass. And the cool thing is you get right off the bat, she walks out and she's just like the first time we see her, she shanks some guy. And I'm just like, whoa, that just came out of nowhere. But like you can kind of identify right away that like this is going to be like his his woman and like his, that's who he's going to be like going with and her performance i felt like it was very strong and i like the connection that they have that was very good i have to say though i feel like olga and amleth their story was really one of the more enjoyable parts of the whole film for me yeah i thought that skarsgård and anatelia joy did a good job they had good chemistry and i almost felt bad like i was like oh, i actually want this guy to like win in the end yeah so we can go back to annotated joy and have their kids and live happily ever after and all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah um yeah. once again man annotated joy she's having a run right now man she really she, is even though this movie i know like like you said it sounds like we're shitting on it it's not the worst movie it's the best movie but you know she's being loyal to a filmmaker that she's already worked with once before and she's got a crazy resume already and like i feel like the she's gonna be in a freaking mario movie in a couple of years is, so she's diversifying her portfolio she is but like the weirdest thing for me is that when i watch her i love so much of her work mm. like i love last night in soho we loved um the queen's gambit the queen's gambit we love that but like it, there is like a part where she does roles like this and i understand why she's doing it like you know these are the kind of roles where she could potentially like you know, win an oscar or something like that and that's what she's always going to be swimming swinging for obviously right but for me, it just feels like after The Witch, I, I would love for her to try even more different things. You know what's interesting? Last Night in Soho and The Northman were shot while Queen's Gambit was still in post-production and hadn't yet to be released. Wow. And I feel like that show and that series really put her on the map. Absolutely. And I feel like, okay, you've got these movies that are coming out where she's not the lead or anything. But I think moving forward, 
things are going to change for her. She's yeah. going to be a headliner. Movie she already forward. has that Furiosa movie. That's I th- is that still coming out? I, I believe it's still coming out. But that's yep. she's the lead of that. And yep. like I love the old Mad Max movie. It's same director, all that kind of stuff. Everybody's coming back. But like that should be like a lot of fun when mm-hmm. that does come out. And I feel I, I still feel like she's going to end up being like one of my favorite actresses for the next like 10 years. 10, 20 years, man. Yeah. She can go on that Nicole Kidman run where exactly. she's around in 20, 30 years. I'd be surprised if she doesn't have an Oscar at some point. Like mm-hmm. she feels like she's destined for something like that. I agree. As far as this movie, one question I did want to ask, why does a movie like Braveheart or Gladiator, why does that blow up? And a movie like this, like we, we already are like talking about it as if it's like definitely not going to blow up. Mm. Why, why do you think that is? I think movies like Braveheart and even Gladiator got a lot of comparisons to Braveheart. When a movie comes out like Braveheart and no one's done it as good or as better until that movie, it sets a really, really high bar for everything else to follow. So automatically, if you're thinking, oh, it's good, but it ain't no Braveheart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's good. Oh, ain't no Gladiator. I'm sorry, but the bar's already been set. That's so true. Yeah. It, it, I just can't believe that this movie is as expensive as it was, and it just didn't deliver to that level. Mm. Uh, why don't we get into our categories? Best character. Who did you end up going with? I went with Amleth, uh, played by Alexander Sarsgaard. I just felt like f- the physicality that he's able to show in this movie is incredible. He obviously put everything into it it's by far his best role his best performance and for me his most memorable role i i think by default i have to agree with you but like i just i almost wish there was like another performance that i could go to that that would have been a better example of that was the standout because i still feel like there wasn't really an overall career making standout performance by anybody in this movie uh what about best scene there were three that really jumped out to me from this whole movie it's the the game that they're playing that you mentioned where they kind of got they got the bat and the ball that was a pretty good scene i thought another scene that you mentioned that i thought was really memorable was when he's trying to get that that sword mm-hmm. that was really well put together and shot but I ended up going with the final battle yeah. uh, between Amleth and Fjolnir and with the volcanic backdrop. Uh, kind of reminded me a little bit of Revenge of the Sith. It but definitely reminded me of Revenge of the Sith. And also, again, fucking Lion King. I right? yeah. <laughs> can't get away from it. It's the exact same thing. Right. Um, yeah, a pretty epic final scene. And at that point, even though we're, our overall takeaway from the movie isn't that great, at that moment, watching that final battle, I'm thinking... Who's going to win here? Yeah. So at least they got me invested to the point where I didn't know who was going to win or lose and who was going to die and they ultimately both die. Yeah, yeah. I actually, so I'll get to that in a second. But one little honorable mention I will have to give, I think one of the coolest death in this entire movie was when he is returning to go like just run roughshod and take down everybody in that town. He meets that guy with no nose and then he just goes up to him and puts his his, his blade right up against his nose and then he just says like I'm just going to finish this basically and then he just inserts it slowly and just kills him and you can see the life kind of drain right out of him fucking awesome that looked really tremendous the other one is when he said something like he has to return for the rest that has that was pretty wild and then he goes and walks into this room and his mom comes and attacks him he goes and kills his mom stabbing her in the heart and then her son goes and jumps on his back and starts stabbing him up all, all up in once and that is like a, a great precursor for what you said, which is the actual best scene in the movie, the final showdown. And now he's headed to like the gates of hell confronting Scar basically. And yeah, it's literally scorched earth. Every I had a feeling like, all right, cool. They're going to the volcano. Everyone's dying. There's mm-hmm. no fucking way they're walking out of this where nobody's dying. And uh, yeah, he went for the comeback. There's a final exchange and he gets stabbed and uh, the uh, Scar gets decapitated and they're both dead. His children are going to succeed him. And that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. As far as star ratings go, where did you end up? Five being the best movie you've ever seen, zero being the worst. 
gave it a three out of five. Like I said, it's not the best movie. It's not the worst movie, but it is just a slightly above average for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't recommend going to the theater, but definitely when it's available to stream at home, definitely throw it on. I feel like I would have had a better experience had I streamed it at home. I completely agree. Uh, I went with 3.5. I respect the swing. I respect the effort. The filmmaking is fantastic. It's just... The story is something we're so familiar with. I just didn't feel like it was all the way compelling. It doesn't get to that next level. There's no real feeling of escalation. The stakes felt they like were supposed to be high once we got to that, that the pregnancy. But I didn't personally feel that way. And maybe that's me not respecting like or me not really being a big fan of the genre. Uh, I, I still feel like that might be playing a partial factor in how I'm experiencing this movie. But yeah, 3.5 for me. But that's everything for that. The real thing I want to talk about this week was how much fucking news has come Loaded. Out. This is like the week where everything has happened. There's no way you could, could have kept up with everything. So yeah, let's get into that. First story I just want to talk about something that came out today is that Andrew Garfield, he announced that he's taking a break from acting. He said, I'm going to rest for a bit. I need to recalibrate and reconsider what I want to do next and who I want to be and just be a bit of a person for a while. I understand that. I respect it. I want to get your thoughts on it. Sure. Take a month off. Take, <laughs> take a couple of months off and just come back as Spider-Man. That's what everybody wants right now. You know what, though? I feel like the one like, I mentioned this in a comment on our Instagram post, but I feel like it's been swept under the rug of like after all the Chris Rock, Will Smith stuff. Nobody was up in arms about Andrew Garfield being robbed for this goddamn Oscar. I was. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I know we were like a little bit like pissed off, but like, it's like, dude, what the fuck? He did such a great job. And I feel like he probably had so much like hot. Like, he had such high going into the Oscars, such an expectation. He won the Golden Globe. Like it was already in set for him to take that platform. And for some reason, it ended up being Will. And I felt like it's not like this is one of them that where. They got it wrong, and it's going to actually affect a career in the long run. On this flip side, though, it takes balls to, to take some time off when you're riding such a high wave of momentum. It's so true. Like, you know, No Way Home, the, the support that he's got from so many different fan bases, social media, for him to come back and play Spider-Man at least one more time in the Sony-verse. And then on top of that, he got nominated for an Oscar. Like, you must be feeling on top of the world right now. And now you take time off. That's crazy, man. I think it's kind of that thing, right? Like he is in like the best position because he's now in a situation where he has like these built-in franchises that he could just walk into that are like almost like guaranteed successes. If he yeah. walks in, as much as we don't even care about Venom, if he showed up into Venom, everyone would love that. If he showed up into any kind of Spider-Man movie, like he's going to end up being a big deal. But on the same side, we almost like minimalize the fact that he was just nominated for an Oscar and had just had his best performance of his entire career. That's the side I'm more interested in. Mm. I want to see him lean into that and be able to try things that are like very interesting. He he didn't know how to s- goddamn sing before Tick Tick Boom, and we saw like the level of performance that he was able to do. I can't wait to see what this guy does in his next ten years. Like as far as like putting some money down and putting your chips on an actor, like I feel like this is a guy who's he might be taking a break, but I feel like in the long run, he's going to end up being somebody who puts on stellar performances for the next couple of years. Oh yeah. He's still got a, a long way to go. Yeah. His run is far from being over. And like I said, you know, taking some time off, it could mean a month. It could mean a couple of months. Yeah. Hopefully it's not a year, but yeah, sooner rather than later, I want to see him back in a movie. I wouldn't be surprised if like, you know, after the hell of a year that he just had, if you know, him and Sony and Marvel already been discussing all these projects anyway. Right. So he's like, whatever, I'm gonna take my time now. I got to, 
project that's coming up in the next six months anyways. Right. So he's got tons of time. Yeah. Uh, next, we got Kevin Feige and a Marvel creative team. Apparently, they're all together. They're all gone to a retreat where they're planning the next 10 years of the MCU. This is like a breath of fresh air. We love hearing this kind of news. We love a plan. We love it when shit comes together like this. And the, the great thing about Marvel is how they book so well into the future. And I think that's like the strongest suit compared to like when we talk about DC and they're pivoting here and they're pivoting there and they're looking for their next Kevin Feige. Marvel's like, we got our shit together. We're planning the next 10 years. They already have like up until like what, 2025 probably planned and they're ready to go for the next decade after that. How crazy is that? They can get together, have a retreat to plan the next decade because they're good. Yeah. They've planted all their seeds. They've got so much good faith installed in them from the fan base. It's like, go and do whatever you want to do. Take your time. Bring all the key players and all the filmmakers and the actors and all the producers and the writers together. Have a bit of a holiday. Have a bit of a break. Have a bit of a team building session and then figure out what you want to do next. I love that. I absolutely love this. And this is something that Warner Brothers and DC are million million miles away from even thinking about doing the funny thing is you said how like this is like the good faith of uh the fans basically right but like for us as fans this gives us good faith for the company right like it makes us want like it makes me think okay cool i can invest my time into marvel i can keep watching these properties because they give a shit yeah they're gonna for the next 10 years they are gonna have a solid plan that makes me feel relieved as a member of this fan base yeah and it's true. It's absolutely true. Like, isn't that what you want? Like, you've already invested a decade. Yeah. And you've had payoff after payoff. After, we're about to get, I think, another big payoff literally in a week from now when Doctor Strange 2 comes out. It's like they keep leveling up every single year. We keep getting satisfied every single year. Like, we were talking about this not too long ago, how... There used to be one, maybe two major MCU movies that would drop a year. Now we're getting between three and four. Yeah. What does the next decade look like? If we, if I'm getting that fix, if I'm getting that hit, not on Disney Plus, I'm talking about at the theater. If I'm getting that every two months, like if they're going to aim to give us like six major movies a year, which is like the trajectory is going that in that, that direction. Yeah. You know what though? I'm not even mad with what we're getting. No, I feel like this is the, as optimal a schedule as you can get because you get like, you know, your four or three big blockbusters every single year. And that way those kind of are your tent poles. You can live off those. But then the Disney plus stuff is the stuff that like satiates you through the entire year. Right mm -hmm. now we're watching Moon Knight. I'm not sitting there thinking like, ah, oh, I need another Marvel project. I have something. It's been sitting there. I get to watch it. And Moon Knight ends a day before Doctor Strange 2 releases in the theater. It's, it's like perfect. It's, this is what they do. This is like how well coordinated this goddamn effort is. And that's why you can be a big fan of something like Marvel and feel like a sigh of relief about it. I hate the Marvel versus DC comparison and the whole, like, I just want everything no, to be don't. great. <laughs> we I, love it. No, no. I, I, I want everything to be like great, but it's just hard for you to give this much positive sentiment to DC because they're so far away from what Marvel do. And yeah, it's, that's what we always keep coming back to. Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Because if it was one thing where like, let's say Marvel was like this, like I always compare it to pro wrestling, right? But let's say Marvel was this huge monopoly where they are the big dog in town, but they're not the best in terms of quality. And then let's say DC was smaller, but their quality was better. It's not that. The quality is like arguable on both sides you could be a huge fan of the batman but you could absolutely have loved spider-man no way home yeah these are two of the best superhero movies i've ever seen and they just came out like a month apart from each other or two months apart from each other like we know when we watch doctor strange 2 next week it's going to be in a theater 
full of the most hardcore nerds yeah. just like us and you know you know you're gonna have a incredible time you know what a huge thing is when i go watch a dc movie i can watch it at any movie theater right now because i don't fully expect there to be like people that are that hardcore about like chomping at the bit to be there exactly right. yeah and then like cosplaying and all that kind of shit they might be in like major cities but like certain spots i don't i don't expect to see that for marvel for doctor strange i make sure i know which theater i'm going to it's gonna be in a prime location downtown i want to watch it with all my fellow nerds because i know when when you see like these reaction videos online of like Endgame and Captain America gets the hammer or the portal scene and you hear the cheers, I'm gonna experience that in real life because that's what happens in movie theaters for these kinds of movies. You know what's crazy? What you just mentioned there? I remember watching No Way Home at my favorite local theater. It wasn't downtown. Yeah. It wasn't some special IMAX. And it was absolutely packed with the most hardcore fan base you could think of. And I think that's where Marvel has got to. Yeah. Before, it used to be like that. I remember living in London. And like when The Dark Knight came out, I watched it at that prime cinema, like central London, the best IMAX theater. And that's where you had like the guys that were cosplaying. My local theater, you wouldn't get that. Times have changed. Yeah. I feel like... The, the super fans and the geeks and the nerds of MCU are everywhere. I, I feel you, but they're, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, I, if I'm optimizing my experience, I know where to go. And I love that about the fan base because I know we're all going to get together over here. It's almost like just being a part of a club, right? Sure, sure, sure. Like we're all together. We all know we're going to get together and be super fucking hyped about this one specific movie. I just I don't that. think that that's become the exception to the rule anymore. I think with DC, yeah, you're going to have to maybe find that spot downtown sure. or something. With Marvel, no, 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 no. You can get that at your local theater now. I'm not even mad at that. Yeah, yeah. that's actually true. What about uh, the next story is that Star Wars Tales of the Jedi is going to be a new anthology series that's going to be animated. And uh, apparently Dave Filoni is also going to be a part of that. Okay. The fact that we're huge fans of number one Star Wars, but we were also big fans of what we just got with Visions. Another series that seems to be specifically built around Jedi. I imagine that like, if it's something like this, it might be stories like Visions where it's just not related to anything or whatever it is. I would love for these shorts to actually be canon mm. and be like a part of the story. Like even if it's like a 10 minute story, 15 minute story, why, you know, we haven't seen a lot of Jedis in a long time. Why not bring back some like OG characters from like the original trilogy or from the prequel trilogy and just kind of live with them for a little bit. Yeah, and I'm, I'm all about that. Like we just saw Disney Plus and the MCU do that with their recent animated run on Disney Plus and everyone's like, oh, can we get like uh, zombie Avengers as canon now? Or like, and we still don't know if some of those things that we saw during that run are canon or not. We're still a little bit up in the air yeah. we, until we actually see more TV shows and more movies in terms of like, oh, is uh, Captain Carter the same Captain Carter from the animated run? Exactly. So yeah. I'm all about that. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and another thing that I would like love to see is like slice of life Star Wars properties, right? Like as far as like, I know we're going to get a lot from like, let's say Obi-Wan. I would love for like a short of Obi-Wan just living on Tatooine his day to day and just like kind of <laughs> hanging out with him. I love those kinds of stories. I think this would be like a fun opportunity to kind of venture outside of like the big blockbuster aspect and the mm. fighting and battles and all that kind of stuff of Star Wars. Let us just live in the world. I still love that part too. And I think that would open like a whole new thing for Star Wars too because as a genre, 
it's just like it's still like not even close to as explored as like something like Marvel is. Yeah, true. I just don't see. I don't think they're gonna do something like that. They, I think they, they might. I don't know. I they. they <laughs> I you know think, what? No, listen. Show me a Star Wars property that doesn't have like a lightsaber duel or a big battle or or a spaceship situation. Visions, this is the, this is the thing, right? Like with visions, you you get like all these different. Like there's a whole story about like a battle, like a a battle of the bands. Right. Right. And it's like. That's what I kind of love about them leaning into like these Japanese art, like like art styles. It's right. like you can tell different kinds of stories, and it doesn't have to be slice of life. It could be like a comedy of Star Wars. Oh, so you're be, saying anime, not live action. Yeah, I'm talking about this this thing, right? I'm talking about like. An oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, I thought you wanted to see like a live action version of. <laughs> I don't want to see like Obi Wan doing his groceries. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I want to see like him just kind of like farming establishing relationships local okay like, all right you know, that's like world building that's different and like lets you kind of get sucked into the world even more fair enough hello there next i got i mean obviously this is one of the biggest stories but like the batman 2 is finally officially in development i don't think anybody didn't expect that to happen but robert pattinson obviously returning matt reeves is also returning and writing massively excited for that yeah absolutely not surprised but it's good to get that officially out there because the Batman is still first of all in theaters. It's now streaming on HBO Max and Crave in Canada. And now that we can be invested long-term into the Batverse. <laughs> yeah, listen, let's do it. as far as we talk about DC, like we shit on like 90% of it, but this Batverse is like something we are like putting our money into because we want to see this thing grow and become an actual world that we can live in. Gotham is a self-sustainable world. We can tell a million stories in there. We do not need crossovers let this world build and before that comes out we're gonna get the hbo penguin show like yeah. there's a lot of things coming our way specifically from this world that matt reese has created to kind of keep us at bay before the next batman movie yeah 100 percent. before we even get into anything else obviously it's CinemaCon that's been happening this week i want to get into avatar 2 yeah absolutely so avatar 2 the way of the water releasing december 16th this year and they showed a lot of footage at CinemaCon. It looks like we're gonna be getting a full-blown trailer that's gonna be attached to Doctor Strange 2, which is again, just a week away. And it will be an in-theater exclusive trailer only for a week before they release it online, which is interesting, but I respect it. That's James Cameron. He wants to maximize and he wants to put out there the experience of going to the theater. And he's kind of said, listen, we are gonna be pushing the limit of what you can do from a theater experience in terms of frame rate and the size of the footage and the size of the actual print. So I'm excited. James Cameron is my favorite director of all time. He's been out of the game for well over a decade now. And for him to come back, not just with this you know, release of the, the Avatar sequel, but knowing that over the next three or four years, we're going to be getting an Avatar movie pretty much every single year. They're all self-contained storied, but they also tell a bigger arc. And I know that James Cameron is not going to disappoint. He's just not the kind of director that disappoints. It's kind of crazy, right? Because there's so... Like, I feel like a lot of people are almost, like, waiting for it to fail, right? Because at the end of the day, like, Avatar 1 came out, like, 10 years ago. And we heard about the sequel, like, immediately. Yeah. And it was year... Like, for years and years, it's been delayed. There's been, like, stories about James Cameron developing all this new technology for it and deep sea diving and exploring, like, underwater in places that nobody else on the fucking planet has explored. This guy is doing some next level work. And finally, we're going to see the fruits of his labor. And also uh, in September, we're getting a re-release of the original movie, Avatar, 
which is going to be just remastered. And I can't wait to watch it again. Because yeah. like, I remember watching it a couple of times in the theater. And then I remember watching it like once on twice on TV. And then I kind of left it alone. Yeah. And so just to kind of whet the appetite before the sequel arrives in December, that's a great way for them to A, first of all, boost the actual overall uh, take in terms of revenue. This, they keep doing this, that right? That number one movie is going to stay number one no I matter know. what. Uh, I respect it though. You know what though? It's funny because I feel like this is going to be the one movie that's going to get people to put 3D glasses back on. Yeah. I, I feel like that, it feels like it's been gone. Like I haven't put on 3D glasses. It feels like at least in a couple of years. Well, here's the thing, right? It's like Avatar did 3D so well and everybody loved the experience. But then what happened was all these executives got so freaking greedy that they just kind of were like, oh, we'll just convert our movie yeah. into 3D. And then what would happen was, and this is the thing that I used to hate for years and it's less so of a problem these days. But man, for I think like five, six, seven years after Avatar came out, every single prime showing at the theater was 3d i'm like yo i don't want to watch it in 3d and i don't want to pay extra money for it and i don't want to buy the 3d glasses i want to watch the movie in 2d the way the filmmaker intended oh but that's going to be like 11 o'clock at night yeah, or like yeah, yeah. six o'clock in the evening it's like those seven eight nine o'clock showings are all 3ds to freaking drive me crazy man it still drives me crazy the fact that we had to go through that i hate the 3d saga mm -hmm. of cinema like when i had like I, the one of the biggest pet peeves i ever had in a movie theater is the fact that when you're watching a movie and you tilt your fucking head it ruins your movie experience that shouldn't happen yeah that should not happen the last thing i'll say about this story is that it's so interesting the fact that he can go away and you know it's a decade after and for some reason it feels like to me that again as somebody who's not like you know you're the, you're a huge james cameron fan i'm not like that level of a james cameron fan, but i can feel the buzz is starting to bubble and it feels like by the time we get to this movie it's gonna be a big fucking deal well this is the only the second time in his career that he's working on his own ip as a franchise he had to let go of the terminator franchise after terminator 2 because it wasn't really in his control anymore this time around though the world building theme parks the merchandise 20th century fox knows that we are in the james cameron business we're going to make so much more money outside of the release of the actual film itself and the fact that this guy has got two of the highest grossing movies of all time to his name i think that kind of you know allows the studio to be like you know what here's an open check go make your movies and take as long as you want because you know when you deliver the goods we're going to cash it and the crazy thing is that open check is like a billion dollars yeah which is fucking but a crazy. billion dollars for like what three or four movies 100 yeah, percent. his last movie fucking made two billion dollars exactly so I think they're okay <laughs> and that's just again at, that's just box office receipts yeah we don't know about the linear distribution dvd sales merchandise video games the whole shebang strong prey on the weak it's just the way things are Nobody does a damn thing. Next story, uh, let's talk about how Justin Lin has removed himself as the director of Fast 10. Apparently it's due to creative differences. Well, he removed himself as a, as a director of this movie one day into production. So yeah. at that point, you know what the script is. You know the story you're telling. Something I feel like, I'm pure speculating here. Something must have happened where he's like, yo, this is, this is what I'm dealing with on day one. I don't want to be dealing with this on day 90 or day 120. So... I think I, I need to know what it is. It's yeah. too spicy. There's got to be a story the there, right? Could that be? It, it, you know what? If you again, if you're speculating, it must be to do with him and Vin Diesel, because Vin Diesel <laughs> is the only other major guy that's attached to this movie that is responsible for all these movies to be made, sequel after sequel after sequel. And he's also the guy that you hear these stories about all the time. Like you hear the fallout that he had with The Rock. 
and the fact that you chased off the biggest actor on the planet from your franchise and he's not willing to come back even though you repeatedly asked him over and over to come back even for this movie and he's still not showing up it just is interesting that you know there's still that 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 kind of aura around Vin Diesel. I, I get it. At the other side, like he's so particular about this franchise because you know it's the thing that butters his bread. Like yeah. this is the where he makes like ninety percent of his income. I'm sure. And he's an executive producer, so he's getting you know double money here yeah. as both an actor and as an executive. Yeah. Um. Look at this point, and we've said this time and time again. When a Fast and Furious movie comes out, you go in there brain dead. You're just gonna check out. Let's see what happens. It's not going to be a, wow, I need to recommend this to my friends and family. It's just like, it's another Fast and Furious. It's like a summer blockbuster popcorn movie. And let's see what happens for a few hours. Yeah. The last three stories I want to talk about. First, uh, we talked about Venom 3. That's finally in development. But also, uh, Sony's going all in on Spider-Man. They got another movie with Bad Bunny is set to star in a a spinoff of his own called El Muerto which is a wrestler who gets powers that are handed down by a mask. So every time he puts on his Luchero mask, he gains his powers. The thought process behind this is let's rinse out this Spider-Man IP for as much as we can because they're never going to let it go. They've got animated movies. They've got live action movies. They've got spin-off movies based on villains and ca- other characters from the Spider-Verse. That's a Sony. This is their playbook. And they've got a lot, they had a lot of fa- good faith you know, coming after No Way Home. But again, that was a co-promotion and a co-production with the Marvel Studios and Disney. And man, it's Sony. It's like, I don't know who's worse. Sony with the Spider-Man IP or Warner Brothers with the DC property. (laughs) I don't know who's worse. I think it's uh, Sony, if you ask me personally, just Mm. because like they've been carried into like the good moments lately. Yeah. And, And on top of that, the interesting thing is like, even looking at Bad Bunny, and he's been a wrestler in the past, and he he had a match at WrestleMania in one year where he's basically carried through the entire match by these other more talented professional wrestlers. And I feel like that's what they're going to do in this movie. But it's like, why does he have to be the featured star in this situation? This feels like almost somebody would have been like, it's like making a movie about Bonesaw. What the fuck are we doing? Like, why is this the main character in your entire franchise? I think there's probably some Sony executive that's like, oh, he you know appeals to this demographic and this market, and he's he's a social media superstar and he's a pop star, and he's ticking all these different boxes. Oh, and he wants to get into movies. We should be the ones to work with him on that. I wonder if we're just gonna eat our words and like Bad Bunny's gonna win an Oscar or something like that as El Muerto. <laughs> Listen, there is nothing more than I'd love for all these movies from the Sony Spider-Verse to be good. Yeah. They're just not. <laughs> straight up. Straight the fuck up. Uh, next, I want to talk about is uh, there's three other movies that are coming out. I want you to just give me a quick opinion on them, okay? Sure. First one we got is uh, we were looking at uh, the next Russo Brothers movie, which is The Gray Man, and that's coming out for Netflix. It has a $200 million budget. Apparently, their goal is to make this the next James Bond-level franchise. They even said that for those who were fans of The Winter Soldier, this is moving into that ter- territory in a real world setting. Uh, I feel like that is something that I can get excited about. And the fr- like the cast is fantastic. A lot of people that are returning from their Marvel movies like Chris Evans and uh, Anna Dara Maz is in there and there's just a bunch of other really talented actors. It feels like this is something that they're investing into and it might be a lot of fun. I hope it gets a theatrical release. I hope it's not exclusive to Netflix and watching it at home on your TV because I feel like a $200 million budget a franchise a franchise be yeah. in a theater in my opinion and given what netflix has been through recently why wouldn't you want to give this a theatrical release where it could make a couple of hundred million dollars to a recoup your budget oh and by the way if it's a big hit 
then it may make, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred million worldwide. Yeah. And you'll still get that kind of hit with your Netflix audience at the same time. Like either do a simultaneous release to give people the option or maybe give it a, like a one or two week theatrical run. Uh, what about the next story is J.J. Abrams. He's producing a live action Hot Wheels movie for Warner Brothers. I, I just don't understand what the story is going to be. Because I can't imagine them making like this into like a Fast and Furious kind of situation. Or Transformers. Transformers. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't really know how this is going to work. Is it like an Evil Knievel situation? Like, I'm not really sure what this is going to be. I don't know. I wasn't really a big fan of Hot Wheels as a kid growing up. So I just don't care. It's just an interesting one. Like, the way that Warner Bros. or most studios like take these like old games that kids used to play with and trying to turn them into movies. I feel like it. it's proven that it's not that great of an option. The last thing I want to talk about is like the weirdest story is just Luca Guadagnino, the one who made uh, Call Me By Your Name. Uh, he's a fantastic filmmaker. He is making his next movie. It's called Bones and All. It's going to star Timothy Chalamet. And <laughs> the way it's been described is an extremely romantic movie about cannibal lovers. But the more extreme aspect is the intensity of the feelings that these people go through. Like, we just watched a movie with cannibals, basically. Yeah. But uh, this feels like an interesting new little take for Timothy Chalamet. That is an out there pitch and concept. Yeah. I don't know if it automatically, like, oh, I can't wait to watch that. The fact that it's Timothy Chalamet and the fact that it's uh, Luca, I feel like they just work really well together and everything that they've done has been fantastic. But uh, yeah, what a weird concept. I'm so curious to see how they make this work. Yeah, I'm going to need to see a trailer for this yeah. one. I'm not going to lie. That one, it doesn't get wet my appetite. I'm going to need to see something first, man. Uh, all right, let's get into our last segment of the show. Let's get wrecked. A weekly recommendation segment. Same thing if you went to like Blockbuster and you saw Darren's pick or Steven's pick. Jumma, what is Santa's pick this week? Super easy recommendation for me this week. Uh, I alluded it to it um, earlier on when we were reviewing The Northman. It's Vikings. Six seasons. It ran from 2013 to 2020. This is the gold standard when it comes to Norse mythology and Viking history on television. It's well written, it's superbly shot, and it's got a brilliant cast that really engrosses you in their characters. So I can't recommend it enough. Awesome. For me, uh, I just was thinking like, what could I recommend in the fantasy genre? It's something like I'm not a big fan of. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to feed people into like uh, a recommendation that I don't really stand behind. So what I am going to stand behind is Princess Mononoke which is this Studio Ghibli movie, which is, again, fantastic Japanese animation movie. It's it's a fantasy story that's set in like about 1500-ish Japan. The main character is this prince who gets infected by this animal attack, and he starts looking for a cure. He goes and finds this distant town and sees these humans kind of like ravaging the earth, same thing that we do now, and like that's kind of the story. It's a battle between nature fighting back against the impact that humanity has had on earth it's a really well told story there's uh forest spirits there's a princess there's gods it's like most ghibli films it's just masterfully made and as a bonus it just has this really tremendous story and message go out of your way to watch it princess mononoke i'm pretty sure it's on netflix but uh yeah that's everything for this week jump where can anybody find us we are at screen of script on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok we're available on spotify and apple Podcasts. and for those of you that do listen to us on apple or spotify actually both platforms now give you the opportunity to rate and review so if you can do that for us that would be much appreciated awesome thank you for checking us out this week guys take care